0: We're currently on a path to connect trillions of everyday items in in people's lives. And we envision a future where businesses and people are able to engage those items through the lifetime of those items. So from their birth at manufacturing, through the supply chain, in the retail stores at point of sale to the consumer's home and eventually to recycling. We want to give every single one of those items a digital life in order to drive efficiencies, reduce waste, enable a circular economy, and ultimately improve people's lives. This is the Thomas Industry Podcast.
1: Welcome to today's episode of the Thomas Industry Podcast. I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Megan Brewster. She's the Vice President of Advanced Technology at Impinge and the former Senior Policy Advisor at the White House. At Impinge. Megan is dedicated to creating a truly connected world through the adoption of brain RFID, a wireless technology that connects billions of everyday items to the internet. As we progress towards Industry 5.0, RFID contributes to the development of automation and advanced manufacturing. Let's get into the episode. So, Megan... We've been friends for, wow, so many years, especially through the COVID times. Like, one year there, like, during COVID is like seven years in reality. So, in dog years, yes. In dog years, right? Like, I'd love to hear a bit more about actually what you do at Impinge.
0: Yes. And thank you, Kathy, so much for hosting me. It's so great to have this conversation with a good friend. So at Impinge, I'm the vice president for advanced technology, as you said. My job is to identify the places that we may want to go as a company in three to five years, identify the roadblocks to us getting there, and then start taking action now to remove these roadblocks. So let me give you an example. This year, I'm heavily focused on sustainability. What that means is that I'm discovering all the different ways that our technology, Rain RFID, can enable sustainability, circularity, recycling. One opportunity that I think will make the biggest impact is how RainRFID can enable the circular economy of every single item that buyer, that consumers buy, use, and eventually discard. The rain industry is already connecting nearly 30 billion items every single year, and these items are t-shirts, golf balls, airline luggage, parcels, packages. And that number, 30 billion units every year, that number is growing 25 to 30% every year. So my job is to determine how Rain RFID can help businesses and people ensure that the item, let's say it's a t-shirt. Is routed as efficiently as possible through the supply chain. It's produced in the appropriate amount so that you don't run out of stock at your favorite retailer, but you're also not overproducing a bunch of t shirts that end up getting trashed at the end of the season. And at the end of that t shirt's life, it will tell me how to recycle that t shirt once I'm done with it.
1: That is super interesting because um, we often talk to NIST, the National Institute of Standard and Technology, and they're really thinking through the concept of regenerative economy. But also when you look at a lot of really in- interesting policy changes, such, such as the introduction of the um, Inflation Reduction Act, everyone is considering you know, switching to an EV. And there is a finite supply of, for example, lithium and a lot of rare earth metals. So I'm sure your technology is just going to be um, even more essential for us to optimize our supply chain but also to really kind of figure out how to be more sustainable. Speaking of which, you have a really interesting background. Um, You did a PhD at at MIT on materials science, and um, you really kind of work across many sectors, private and public. Could you tell us a bit more about your career path and what brought you to Impinge?
0: Yes. So, as you mentioned, I, I did get my PhD um, in materials science. I was at MIT focused on semiconductor nanostructures. Um, and during that time, that's where I learned how to tackle big, complex, and abstract technical problems. Um, I also learned that I wanted to work on technical problems that were practical and had a direct connections to humans. So after my PhD, I transitioned into industry and I was doing research at GE, at their global research center. Um, And there I was developing next generation battery chemistries. uh, And that was for GE's first startup as part of their FastWorks campaign. Um, It was really interesting because through that FastWorks campaign, I learned the importance of having a product market fit and just how challenging it can be to get it right and what it takes for what was then the world's largest company to act like a nimble startup. Then I spent uh, three years on a tour of duty in the federal government. I started in the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, and that's where I originally picked up advanced manufacturing as a portfolio topic, but I worked on other topics, including rare earth elements um, and and, uh, critical materials like lithium, like you mentioned. Uh, I continued working on advanced manufacturing, but transitioned from the Senate over to the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. And there I was coordinating the advanced manufacturing activities of the 13 different federal agencies that were interested in this technology topic. And I learned a lot of things at OSTP. But one of the key things was what it takes to do work that impacts an entire nation. It requires a diversity of viewpoints and alignment with many stakeholders of all types. At the end of uh, the Obama administration, when I was at OSCP, I went to work at Local Motors, which is a startup that developed new products for clients like GE and Airbus through crowdsourcing and rapid prototyping by digital manufacturing methods. And that's when I learned the importance of having a vision for the future. So that brings me back to today at Pinch, where I'm developing that vision for the future, in this case of how Rain RFID will enable the sustainability of everything.
1: I love how your background is so vast, but you always have this beautiful thread underneath all of that, which is how we can plan for the future and create a better future for all. And I think for many um, you know, Zoom happy hours we 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 get to spend time with it with one another on. That's the topic that we talk a lot about. So to t- tie that to your rain RFID, um it is a fascinating technology, right? Like you can literally track the world's everything in a scalable and cost-effective way. And a lot of our listeners are supply chain experts as well as manufacturers. Could you please talk us through some of the most popular use cases so you can inspire them to think about how they can leverage your technologies as well?
0: Rainerf ID provides core capabilities such as serialized identifiers for individual items. It's battery-free operation. It's got up to 30-foot range. You do not have to have line of sight in order to read RAIN tags. And you can read up to thousands of tags per second. It's low cost, as you mentioned. It is essentially unlimited life. And now there's available cryptographic authentication. And it's these core capabilities that position RAIN RFID to be the leading item to cloud connectivity technology for the items, for the Internet of Things. So we're currently on a path to connect trillions of everyday items in in people's lives. And we envision a future where businesses and people are able to engage those items through the lifetime of those items. So from their birth at manufacturing, through the supply chain, in the retail stores, at point of sale, to the consumer's home, and eventually to recycling. We want to give every single one of those items a digital life in order to drive efficiencies, reduced waste, enable a circular economy, and ultimately improve people's lives. So, let me give you some examples of what's possible in a handful of different industries. So, for example, today in the aviation industry, we are helping improve customer service and operational efficiencies with accurate real-time data about luggage, assets, and equipment. In the healthcare industry, we're streamlining asset tracking, eliminating loss, improving supply management... Enhancing patient experiences for overall better outcomes. In the manufacturing industry, we're helping improve operational efficiency with automated processes that change the way machines and humans work together. In retail, we're helping optimize store operations, improve inventory availability, and enable seamless customer shopping experiences. And we're helping supply chain and logistics companies as they keep their their goods moving and operations informed with accurate automated and error-free shipment management.
1: That's amazing. So to a non-scientist, right? Like if I am talking to, for example, um, a small mom and pop manufacturers, and they may be under 15 millions in any revenue, maybe with like 40 staff, and they might be uh, manufacturing, you know, parts for the automotive supply chain. And and if they want to trace what, what, where their parts are going or how their materials are coming. How does it actually work? Like, do they consult with you? Do they have to tack some labels on parts? I'm like totally talking, you know, like, like an amateur here, but I, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And how would you explain that, that to me as a, as a non scientist?
0: Yeah. There's a lot of um, opportunity and it's important to think through what is the process of how would I actually do this? How would I actually adopt it? So I'll highlight some of the big challenges in the adoption process. So the first hurdle is to clarify what is your project's focus? So we talked about how RainRFID can deliver value across so many different parts of a business and it can be a multi-year journey. for, For example, an enterprise scale deployment. And often companies are making adjustments to their processes so that they can take advantage of the automation that the technology provides. So if you're a mom-and-pop manufacturer, being clear on what's the focus of your project. Do you want to monitor all your works in progress across your workshop? Do you want to understand in great detail what you are shipping out of your dock doors to your customers? Those are just examples. But it all starts with tagging your item. So once you decide what's the scope of your project, you have to figure out where and when you're actually going to add that tag to an item and which product categories you want to tag. So some companies begin by tagging an item as soon as it's, they receive it in their store. Um, and we see a lot of companies ultimately push that tagging Action upstream to their supply chain partners and all the way up to the point of manufacture so that the benefits of that tag can be achieved throughout the item's life cycle and for more supply chain partners downstream. And that also takes you to the next question. Okay, so now you've got everything tagged. Well, when do you read those tags and what does that reading environment look like? So you want to understand how a product flows through. A manufacturing process for automation purposes or you might want to ensure that you have the right item at the right place at the right time or maybe you want to ensure your accurate shipments in each case you need to identify what are those key points of where you want to read the tag read the item or have visibility into the item's identity or its location
1: it makes a lot of sense and um Sorry, I'm such a nerd. I just wanted to ask you about the physical characteristics of a tag. Is it like laser engraved or it's like a tomato label? Like I'm I'm just trying to envision the material and the shape and how it's actually appended to an object.
0: So a RFID tag is made up of a few different components. It starts with the silicon chip that's like the brain of the tag, and that is one of Impinge's core products. We make that silicon chip. And the chips are extremely tiny. They're the size of a flake of pepper, for example, or a grain of salt. Um, that tag is connected, is in, inductively coupled to an antenna, and the antenna is Most, most of the time it's aluminum and the overall size is about 70 millimeters long and 14 millimeters wide, but tags come in all different sizes. You can get smaller ones, you can get larger ones. So you've got your silicon chip, you've got your aluminum antenna. The aluminum antenna is, um, usually it's an etched process. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, laser cut, it can be printed. There's a variety of different ways you can lay this down on a substrate that substrate is usually a pet a piece of, of pet plastic and that inlay gets converted into a label so then that goes into for example if it's a if it's a paper label that's a hang tag on a piece of clothing then it would be converted into that paper label and at that stage it would be encoded but sometimes it's just an inlay with an adhesive on the back and you just stick it directly on the vision is as we look to tag everything, we want different form factors. For example, if we're going to tag every single tomato, we need a form factor that's as small as those stickers that you'll currently find on produce. And there are tags that can be that small. You'll have trade-offs, for example, with the read range. You might not be able to read it from 30 feet away. You may have to be a little bit closer, but you can make pretty, pretty small tags.
1: Speaking of tomatoes, um, thank you for the really amazing, you know, visual tour of how our listener can envision, you know, the the process of introducing rain RFID into the production and supply production line and supply chain. Um, Let's circle back to sustainability and maybe perhaps we can use the food industry as an example. Um, How does RFID enable sustainability in the food industry, Megan?
0: It's a great question. So first of all, regardless of the industry, RANRFID is particularly well-suited for sustainability initiatives. The tag themselves are passive. They don't require a battery. There's even green tags that are commercially available today. For example, tags that are made of eco-friendly materials. And there's reusable tags. Next, there's all the different ways that Rain RFID solutions can reduce waste and increase sustainability just by giving... Businesses and individuals easy access to information that they can use to reduce an item's environmental impact at every stage of its life. So, for example, in the case of food, food producers want to deliver fresh, safe food. So, Rain RFID can help retailers ensure that the food that's being sold is done so before it's is being used before that food expires, or you're helping eliminate the overstock or minimize unsold items so that you're reducing that overproduction of food items. Logistics companies can optimize their delivery routes so that they can eliminate excess driving, fuel usage, emissions, and again, making sure that that food item is at peak ripeness when it arrives to you as a consumer. So, for example, Cooperative Hoogstraten uses the Impinge platform to track cartons of strawberries as they move from the farm to table, and they're seeking to maintain that freshness and reduce the chance of wasted fruit. Then in the event of a recall, only the affected product has to be taken off the market. You don't have to call everything that might have been impacted. You can focus just on the lots or the batches that, that are part of that recall. Cup Loop is another example. Cup Loop is incentivizing recycling with a fast and easy option for recir- recirculating reusable food containers and returning customer deposits. So, their system, which is enabled by the Impinge platform, receives food packaging for reuse and it tracks each of those items' history for optimal management.
1: I think it's super exciting in terms of, you know, the ability to introduce a meta taxonomy to all materials and objects we create in the world and and really know the physicality where they are at any given time it is it is so exciting what you guys are doing now um we talk about say mom and pops manufacturers how they can leverage your technology we talk talk about a use case of um, sustainability in food industry what about uh for retailers? Retailers, they have tremendous amount of inventories and things move around in the store so fast. And you know, if one thing we learned throughout the pandemic, it is the power of supply chain and you know, organization and, and real-time data and how one little uh, butterfly effect can have a huge impact downstream. In your experience uh, when you work with retailers, do they have to reconfigure the retail space or like do massive amount of you know retooling in order to leverage your technology? Or are there incremental steps that they can use to start getting smarter with their supply chain?
0: A lot of retailers are able to adopt Rain RVD technology without significant modifications to their stores. So As we discussed, they do need to tag their items. So they have to think about when are those tags actually going to be applied? Are they applied upstream before they come into their stores? Do they apply those tags as they're putting the items out on the shelf? They have to think about where those read zones do they want to read items as they're moving from back of store to front of store? Do they want to read them at point of sale? Do they want to read them as those items are leaving the store, for example, as a loss prevention solution? And for each of those read zones, there may be some configuration required. So you need to install or you need to have a reader. Maybe it's a handheld reader and there's no installation required. Maybe it is a fixed reader that gets installed in the ceiling or in, for example, the gates as you exit a store. And in many cases, stores already have those gates. They're just focused on a different technology than rain RFID. So it would be a modification of the gates that you already have in store.
1: So Megan, we actually worked on this together um, and it was a really fun project. So you recently led a design engineering competition, resolving the internet of everything. Can you tell us more about this project?
0: Yes, and it was so fun to work with you, Kathy, and with the Thomas community on this. So thank you for helping us promote that challenge to your community. So the today, technologies like Rain RFID connect physical items to the internet through these digital identifiers, these unique numbers that are encoded on the tag. And as more items are connected. We need a resolver, a web resolver, that resolves or links that unique number on the tag, the digital identifier, associates it with the physical item to its digital twin that lives in a product cloud. So to kickstart some of the thinking around this web resolver, Impinge worked with IEEE, CRFID, and the Rain Alliance to issue a challenge to the broader community. How can we design a web resolver that connects physical things to their digital twins in the cloud, enabling people to securely access the twins for the items that they own. And the challenge was designed to galvanize idea sharing and collaboration. It's a complex problem that's not solvable by any one single company, which again is why I'm so thankful to Thomas for promoting that challenge to their community. Instead of a true internet of things, what we have today, today's IoT, really is comprised of many disconnected intranets of things. Individuals, companies, or industries, they can look up their own items in private product clouds, but related parties or consumers can't access the digital twins for the items that they own. There's also a growing mix of unique numbering systems for those digital identifiers that sit on the TAG. That means that it makes it difficult to know which specific product cloud is where that digital twin resides for the item. So last year, a group of judges selected winning submissions, which were then presented at an IEEE conference. And we've invited the broader community to provide feedback on those submissions. And we continue to evaluate this initiative.
1: That is really exciting because it's almost like you guys are creating a parallel universe of um, object data. It's almost like your own version of the internet. Um, I can't wait to see how this project evolves and, um, listeners, if you're interested in finding out more, um, towards the end of the episode, we'll, we'll give you ways to contact with Megan. And obviously you can always contact me too. So Megan, we, we talk a lot about, um, You know the left side the left brain of of rfid let's actually switch our gear a little bit to talk about you know you are such an amazing person sorry you're gonna laugh that i i I really enjoy you know every single time when we have a conversation and we talk about you know um how to um, be a how to be a good leader and also how we can support one another in the industry and beyond so you have such broad experience working with folks from different backgrounds and you know organization. Can you talk us a little bit about how you align diverse groups of stakeholders?
0: Yes, and I will say I love our chats, Kathy, because I am so inspired all the time by all of the really interesting and unique processes that you use in your job to get your work done. It's very inspirational to me as well. So let's take the example of, um, I mentioned we've got this growing mix of numbering systems for these unique identifiers on the tag. Uh, this is a great example of a challenge that involves, uh, a complex ecosystem of, of stakeholders. The reason why this is a challenge is what happens is when anyone buys a tag, they can encode whatever data they want into the tag. The, the problem is that if you or I were to read a tag on an item that we own, let's say I just bought this t-shirt, it's got a rainrfid FID tag, I go to read that tag because I want to learn more about that item. I want to understand its provenance. Was it made using sustainable cotton, etc.? I'll read that tag and in many cases, I will not be able to immediately determine who owns that tag. So I won't necessarily know where to go in order to learn more about that item. So to solve this challenge, we have to bring together this complex ecosystem of stakeholders. It includes service bureaus who encode the tags on behalf of brands and end users. It also includes solution providers that are recommending to end users what numbering system they should use when they're encoding their data on the tag. And so a tool that I like to use is one that I learned at the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. It's called the Commitment Process. And this process is how you create momentum towards a single goal when you have many different stakeholders, each of whom own their own small, unique piece of the puzzle. So here's how it works. First, you define your goal and you develop a few categories of actions that, if taken, would help towards achieving that goal. So so let's work through my example. The best way to ensure that anyone reading a tag can resolve that tag data to its relevant product cloud is for everyone to encode their tags using a standardized numbering system. Not one they just made up, one that's standardized by organizations like GS1 or ISO. So the actions that people can take to help achieve that goal, we gave three examples. One is you can educate yourself and your business partners about the standardized numbering systems. The second action you can take is to encode tags in your own business using standardized numbering systems. And the third action is you can develop products that make it easy to encode using standardized numbering systems. So make it idiot-proof. Next you put out a public call for commitments, critically with a deadline for submissions, and a promise that you'll publish all of the commitments after that deadline. One company committing to proper tag encoding coding by itself is not newsworthy. But what if 50 companies committed to using a standardized numbering system? Now you're starting to make an impact. So finally, after the deadline passes, you can put all of those commitments together and voila, you have a press release with instant momentum and alignment where each individual commitment is published and it's lifted up by that bundled outcome.
1: That is incredible. I, I won't lie. I'm actually going through, you know, the exact problem where there is a project with many, many stakeholders, but there are no Venn diagram of interest today. And I'm just trying to corral them. And so I'm actually steal this commitment model and apply it and actually text you how it goes afterwards. I would love to hear it. Thank you, Megan. So finally, we always ask our guests to share the best career advice they have ever been given that may inspire our listeners. So what's your best career advice, Megan?
0: Do informational interviews. I have done hundreds of them myself. Think about the job that you want in five to 10 years, find someone who has that job today and reach out to them. As I mentioned, I've done hundreds of informational interviews at this point, point. many of them started as a cold call to someone that I found, for example, in my school's alumni database or running around on LinkedIn. And when I finished talking to that person, I'd ask them, is there anyone in their network that they'd recommend I'd speak with? And if they'd introduce me, all it takes is a handful of cold calls, eventually you're going to get one response. And it, it turns out that most of those cold facts were, those cold calls were in fact answered. So it really didn't take more than two or three reach outs. And that ch- will trigger a chain of informational interviews. And on the other side of the coin, if you're like me and you've benefited from informational interviews, then make sure you pass that karma on. When a young person or someone in my network reaches out to me to chat, I answer because I know how much those responses meant to me when I was in their shoes.
1: That is amazing. And I think, Megan, um, what I love about our friendship is knowing our common friend, Ryan Kelly from AMT. He is a technologist based in San Francisco. He actually connected us and we we forged a lifelong friendship and and then you introduce me to other great people, too. And uh, we keep on kind of trying to find paths to enjoy this sense of community. Um, and I think it's really meaningful because I was actually just, you know, reading on Reddit and I spent way too much time on it. And someone someone was actually trying to go back into high school with an adult because of that sheer loss of the sense of community. And what is really powerful with what you do at RFID is really about creating a community of manufacturers, technologists, people who care about sustainability to influence change at scale. And starting from your best advice all the way through to your vast knowledge of technology, we learn a lot today. And I I can't tell you how happy I am to to actually spend an almost like an hour chatting with you uh during work. I mean sometimes you do feel like you 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 get paid to do the thing that you love. And this is this a very special moment. So if our listeners would like to find out more about Rain RFID or connect with you, what are the best ways to do so? Check out our webpage
0: in pinch.com. We've got tons of use cases across a variety of industries. There's also a support link if you'd like to talk to someone directly about your specific use case. And to reach out to me, find me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. Thank you for
1: your time today, Megan.
0: Thank you, Kathy, for having me.
1: In today's episode, we're spotlighting a regular Thomas Industry podcast listener, Rob Shufflebein. As a supply chain strategist for SPS Commerce, Rob said our latest episode on forecasting 2023's industrial production and manufacturing has helped him stay up to date on the latest industrial trends. Thank you, Rob, for your support. For feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate your support. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thomas Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe, share with a colleague, or leave a review.
0: This episode was produced by Harry Kay, directed by Brooklyn Kyoso, and hosted by Kathy Ma.